0: We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, Chris Pabst, the author of Capital Murder. Chris Pabst, author of Capital Murder, An Investigative Reporter's Hunt for Answers in a Collapsing City. Why would you write the book? Well, I wrote the
1: book because I think people need to know what happened to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It, it's truly a remarkable story. And it goes through about 30 years of the city from this mayor for life, Stephen Reed. He was mayor for 28 years. He was seen as the greatest mayor in Pennsylvania, the greatest mayor in America. There in, in 2006, this organization called the World Mayor Organization named him the third best mayor in the world. I mean, this was a guy that was idolized and. what he did for the city looked to be absolutely incredible. For people that are familiar with central Pennsylvania, when he took office in 1982, Harrisburg was in a very bad place. It it had just lost 25% of its population in the 70s, and that's 25% of people that can afford to leave. So he he comes in in 1982 and takes on a task that nobody really wanted, taking over the capital city of a state that is just in a really bad place. And over the decades, Population was coming in. New buildings were being constructed. I mean, the things that he accomplished in his administration were pretty remarkable. There's the, the National Civil War Museum. There's the Firemen's Museum. The Harrisburg Senators, the, the AA affiliate of the Washington Nationals, City Island, the Harrisburg Hilton, the Whitaker Center for the Performing Arts, Second Street, Restaurant Row. All of these things were created by Stephen Reed. He leaves office in 2010. One year later, the city of Harrisburg files for bankruptcy. How can this happen? So I wrote this book because people need to know how it happened. It's a very important story, not just for people in central Pennsylvania or people in Pennsylvania in general, but this is really a story that people all throughout America need to understand so more cities don't go down the path that Harrisburg, Pennsylvania went down, becoming the first and only capital city ever to file for bankruptcy.
0: You were a reporter in Harrisburg for a period of this time?
1: Yeah, for four years, from September of 2010 until the end of 2014, December of 2014. I was a reporter for CBS 21. I was an investigative reporter for them. And my beat was the financial collapse of Harrisburg. So every day I was covering something different about Harrisburg. I filed more than 200 reports on this city and everything from the state takeover Uh, the receivers that came in, the the constitutional battle that was brewing because the elected leaders in Harrisburg were stripped of their authority to govern because the state took it over, the, the recovery plan, the bankruptcy, and also I covered a lot about the people that suffered in Harrisburg as a result of their failed government, and that's what happened. Harrisburg's government failed the people, and the people suffered, and their stories are in there. How much did you know about Harrisburg before you took the job? I think very little, and that was beneficial to me. Uh, I'm from Pennsylvania. I was born and raised in Berks County, a little bit south of uh, Reading and Morgantown, you know, right off the turnpike. My parents still live there. And growing up, I was born in 1979. So I grew up in, in the 80s and then into the 90s. When you're in elementary school, you know, what do you normally do? You go to the Capitol. You do things like that. But when I was growing up, we didn't really come to Harrisburg it was seen as kind of a place you just avoided. It was a lot of blight, a lot of crime, a lot of poverty. And it goes back to when Stephen Reed took over in 1982, the type of city he took over. So when I got here in September of 2010, I saw something that I wasn't expecting. I saw a vibrant city with new stores and new skyscrapers and new buildings and people that loved to be there paying tax dollars. And the city looked like it was in great financial shape. And I thought to myself, wow, like what an amazing turnaround from my childhood, because for about six years I had left and I was working in Wyoming and I was working in Wisconsin in TV there before I came back to to work in Harrisburg in my home state. And I think, wow, this is amazing. Great for Harrisburg, great for great for my home state's capital city. But then as I started looking more into it, I started seeing, you know what? There's some stuff here that doesn't quite look right. Harrisburg had or has about a $50 million general fund budget, but it had accrued about $400 million in debt. And I'm looking at this, and I'm going, how is that possible? How do you accrue eight times your general budget in debt? And then I started just learning a little bit more, and, and the financial collapse had started happening about really in earnest, about six months after I got here. And then as it started collapsing, and I'm looking at this beautiful city, I'm like, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make any sense to me. And as I started learning more, and I started learning about Stephen Reed, the mayor of 28 years, how he conducted business in the city, how he ran the city like a dictator, and everything that happened in this city, whether it be public or private sector, had to go through him. I really started to learn of this fascinating story of how this city put all of its trust into one man, and that one man used that trust to build a city, essentially a house of cards, using financial tricks, using the municipal bond markets to his advantage, and then reinvesting that money in the city, doing things he should not have been doing. And then all of a sudden, a year after he leaves office, again, Harrisburg becomes the first and only capital city to file for bankruptcy. So I started learning of this incredible story and I started doing more investigative reporting. And as I did more, it only led to more questions that I had to answer. And then I'd answer that question, and it led to more questions that I had to answer. And it just became this snowballing situation until I realized, I actually know what happened to this city. And it's a phenomenal story. People need to know about it. And and that's why I wrote the book. Well, how was it
0: Stephen Reed was, right in the beginning, able to take the city? I, I want to find you talk about a story about a a mission that came to Harrisburg to set up, and they finally just gave up and said this place is hopeless. I'd take a city like that and build it up. I mean, how did he get it started? And, and
1: did he have something going legitimately in the beginning? Well, he was using a lot of these financial tricks, he was using arbitrage within the municipal bond market. Today, that's illegal. It was made illegal. Can you explain layman's terms? For okay, that is? so basically what Stephen, here's a, here's a perfect example, and we, we talk about this in the book. Stephen Reed decided that he wanted to build a dam across the Susquehanna River, and he was going to use that for hydroelectric power. Plans were never drawn up. Engineers never uh, devised any type of strategy to get this done, but $300 million in a bond was issued to the city to do it. Again, $300 million issued to the city. I know you look perplexed. Would that have been
0: sound business for somebody to lend the city $300 million for that? I mean, could it conceivably have been a sound business decision?
1: What it is, and this is something we can get into a little more detail, is that fees are paid out. So when uh, Wall Street or a municipal bond market banker, something to that effect, lends a loan to a, a city, a fee is paid out, and those fees are paid out in the millions of dollars. So what eventually ended up sinking Harrisburg was they were taking out too many of these municipal bonds that could never be paid back. But tens of millions of dollars in fees go to the bond lawyer, go to the Wall Street firms that issue the money, and go to the city, which is how Stephen Reed bought the Wild West artifacts that you may be familiar with that was such a big story. So there is an incentive to get these bonds issued if you're the person issuing them. So that's how these are getting doled out. But to go back to the the dam on the Susquehanna River, arbitrage is he has that $300 million, and he keeps refinancing the $300 million, and each time fees are paid out. And then you collect those fees, and that $300 million never goes to the project that, that was done, But you get the millions of dollars in fees that go along with it. So that was one way that he did it. And then what he did is he reinvested that money back into the city. And I think that Stephen Reed definitely had the best interest of Harrisburg at heart. He wanted Harrisburg to be a destination city and to be this wonderful city that it was in 1900, when it was really the center of Pennsylvania and it was vitally important to not only the state, but a growing country with the railroads and everything that it had in the industry. That's what he wanted. But as he was doing these financial tricks, he kept getting more daring with them and more risky. And he kept taking more risks and more risks until he took too many. And then the city financially collapses and has to file for bankruptcy after he leaves office. Why did the city
0: decline from its peak in, say, 1900 to what it bottomed out at in the
1: 70s. Sure. What's well, your typical Rust Belt town? And I mean, it's a town that the Pennsylvania Railroad ran this city in terms of it, it was the Walmart or the Google of its day. I mean, the, the penny was just a gigantic, gigantic institution. And when it went bankrupt, you know, it took a lot with it. Uh, a lot of the manufacturing went with it. The Reading Railroad came through here. I mean, this was a central hub to ship product around the country. But when all those started going down, the manufacturing started going down with it, the housing prices started to fall. And the people that could afford to leave the city left the city, leaving behind the people that couldn't afford to leave. And then what that does is it lowers the housing prices, so lower-income people start coming into the city. And it's the same thing that many, many American cities, including Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, went through as well. But Pittsburgh and Philadelphia have larger tax bases to sustain them. Harrisburg never quite got to that point. Uh, It was projected to. It was projected to become a big city, but the, the bottom fell out a little bit, maybe about 20 or 30 years too early. Had the railroads and the manufacturing stayed vibrant for another 20 or 30 years, I think Harrisburg would have been a much different city but unfortunately it didn't happen that way. So when the money leaves and then the suburbs are created, and then you have the the Highway Act of the 1950s, I mean, it got to the point where you never even had to go into a city because the federal government built highways and beltways around the city. So not only were people leaving, but the federal government started building these giant highways, so no one ever had to go into a city. So it was like this snowball effect. And then with the With the infrastructure of suburban school development, now you really didn't have to go into a city. So the city's rotted. And what Stephen Reed's envisionment was, was to bring the city back to the prominence that it had. And that was his objective, that was his goal, and that's what he was focused on for a really long time. And if you had looked at the the aesthetics of the city, you would have said, yes, he brought it back to what it was. But what nobody wanted to look at was what he was doing financially to the city. People just wanted to look at the new businesses. People wanted to look at the new buildings and the baseball team coming to town. They didn't want to look at the debt he was accruing, the financial risks that he was taking, and the amount of power that he was usurping and just running the city by himself like a dictator. And like any other organization or any other country, dictatorships don't work. And Harrisburg's the latest example of that.
0: Well, he, he's spelled out uh, quite often his plan for multiple museums that would Mm -hmm. make Harrisburg a a city that people who would never come here
1: normally would come and go to a couple different museums. Was that plausible? Well, he built two. He built the National Civil War Museum, and he built the Firemen's Museum, and his idea was also to build a National Sports Hall of Fame, a Wild West Museum, an African American Museum and also a Native American museum, because there was a strong Native American influences in in central Pennsylvania before the Europeans came over. So that was his idea. So it, it was plausible in that it would have been great had it happened, but the city just financially didn't have the tax base to be able to do it. So that's why he was doing the financial tricks, because he was trying to get that money, trying to generate that money, and then reinvesting it back into the city. And for the first 20 or 25 years, uh, those risks did appear to be paying off. The city was doing very well, but when he just kept doing them, and the risk got bigger, and and he he got to the point where he thought that he was invincible. I've come this far. Look what I've done to this city. I mean, for, for most of his re-elections, no one even ran against him. He got the Republican and the Democratic nomination. The media wasn't touching him. Uh, the people in the city, they're like, look at our great mayor. We're, not, we're just going to let him do what he wants to do because you know, I can go to a baseball game tonight. Then I can go to the Whitaker Center for Performing Arts. I can stay, my friends can stay in the Hilton. I can go to downtown uh, Restaurant Row where all these great bars are. So people weren't willing to say maybe he should slow down a little bit if anything, he was being encouraged to do more. And that's when he just started taking these risks he never should have taken. And that is the lesson that people need to learn from this. They need to learn that that there's a reason that we have the democracy and the republic that we have that's spreading out the balance of power and not not focusing it on one person who's making all these decisions. But in Harrisburg, if, if Stephen Reed didn't endorse you for city council, you didn't get on city council. If he didn't endorse you for the treasurer or he didn't endorse you for the controller, you didn't win those elections. So he made sure that he put his people in place that would allow him to do whatever he wanted. Now, he was highly successful in being able to build that type of government, and the people just allowed it to happen. And then when he left, and he, he had to have known the financial disaster that was coming. I mean, he knew the house of cards that he built. He leaves office and a year later the city has to file for bankruptcy. If he had stayed in office, could he have kept it rolling for longer? I, in my, well, that's an opinion question. In my opinion would be absolutely not. Uh, there was, the finances were so bad. Again, you have $400 million in debt tied up just in one project, the Harrisburg Incinerator, the, the Trash to Steam Incinerator, in a city with a $50 million operating budget there was no way to pay that debt. I mean, this, the money just simply wasn't there. Uh, so I think that he knew. He knew what was coming. And after 28 years, he just quietly left and let other, another person come in, Linda Thompson, and just let her take the fall. Because she took a lot of the blame for what happened. Because she was actually the one who was the mayor when the city collapsed. She but was it, the mayor when you arrived in town? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't her fault. I don't think that she was necessarily equipped to handle the situation that she inherited, but it wasn't her fault. And Stephen Reed just quietly kind of just vanished. I mean, he never came in the public eye anymore. I mean, this was a mayor that if there was a murder, he was there comforting the family. If there was a fire, he was there giving the press conference to the media saying, here's what happened. This was a a big city mentality mayor that was very hands-on, but when he left office, It ended. He stayed in his house, didn't give media interviews, and just watched the city that he built absolutely financially collapse.
0: Was the news media negligent in this whole story?
1: I blame, a lot of this is the media's fault. Uh, I blame the Patriot News. I blame the radio stations. I blame the television stations that are in Harrisburg. People, they allowed this to happen. I think the media was afraid to go after him. He held a lot of power. I mean, 28 years in office, mayor for life status, he held a lot of power and he, he controlled a lot of influential people that were in this city. And was very and, popular with the public. Oh, I, enormously popular. Oh, absolutely. So I don't think the media wanted to challenge it. I don't think anybody wanted to be that person in the media that brought down the mayor for life. Because you would be seen as, you stopped the progress of Harrisburg just nothing's wrong. There's nothing going on here. The city's thriving. Why are you picking on our wonderful mayor? And I think that was a lot of it. And that's what led to the problems. I mean, in the book, I talk about a couple times that he went to court where judges said, you're abusing your power as mayor, but nothing was ever done about it. The 2003 bonds that were taken out to retrofit the incinerator, and and that's where those were the bonds that sank the city, it was obvious those bonds never should have been taken out. I mean, the, the, the financial analysis was there. This was a bad idea. But he still pushed it through. Where was the media on that? Now, $16 million did get paid out to professionals. You know, we talked about how the professionals get the money. In those 2003 bonds, $16 million got paid out. $2 million of that went to the city. So that might give you a little bit of insight on what the motivation was to get those bonds pushed through. But where was the media? Who were the people who were getting this $16 million? Oh, they're all in the book. I name every single one of them. Uh, the, the companies they work for. Uh, Dauphin County played a huge role in this. Uh, Jeff Haste, who's a county commissioner, uh, he, he's, he's somebody that is being heavily looked at, is, is you know, having a lot of involvement in this. I think the county got $2.5 million. <clears throat> Excuse me. The city got about two million. A lot of the banks, uh, Royal Bank of Canada. I mean, I'd have to look at the, at the chapter. Yeah, in I think there. you I have exactly. a chart in there that has something have a chart like five million dollars. Yeah, like Royal five million Canada. dollars. So, so it didn't get, all stay local. Oh, oh no, no, it wasn't local at all. All the the bond attorneys, they get a cut of that. The uh, the engineer attorneys, those firms, they get a cut of that. And just to, just to point out the significance of this, the sixteen million dollars that was paid out in two thousand three that doesn't. That didn't go to the city. That didn't go to the project. That simply went to the professionals that put the bond agreements together. So they have every incentive in the world to get these bonds pushed through, and it doesn't matter. They don't care if the city can ever pay it back. They got their millions of dollars. And then as soon as the county endorses those bonds, now you have 250,000 county taxpayers in Dauphin County that are going to pay whatever the city can't pay. It's a really bad model, and every city in America is using the same municipal bond market model. And these same Wall Street firms and these same municipal bond attorneys are going to all of these different cities doing the same thing, loaning them money, reaping millions of dollars in benefits. And then when the whole thing collapses, they wash their hands of the situation and they say, I want all of my money. I want all the loan that I gave you because that was the deal. I'm supposed to get all that back. But they loan this money out knowing the cities can't pay it back.
0: Is there anything improper about choosing who were the people who
1: were the agents of these bonds to get the money? We well, I mean, have to choose
0: who gets the money if
1: when sure. you make these deals. Well, Stephen Reed, he, as I said, he's, he's into these financial tricks. He never met a bond issuance he didn't like. So he was working with the same municipal bond people for years so they had this working relationship well, let's have a let's let's uh, you go back to the to the dam on the Susquehanna River there was never going to be a dam there was no there was, there, was, there were no plans drawn up so they just sit down at a table and they say listen give me 300 million bucks now you'll get a couple 100,000 or a couple million in fees I'll you know, reinvest it a few times. I'll get my money, you get your money, and then we'll give you the $300 million back, and then we'll just move on. So and we'll just what, say the, it's for a damn project.
0: So the city had to pay monthly fees or, or monthly like payback yes. on the loan?
1: Yep, it's, it's simply a fee. Yep, mm-hmm. It's a fee. And in, in the 2003 bonds that sank the city, it was $16 million, <laughs> more than $16 million in fees. So there's every incentive in the world to push these bonds through. And this is happening to all the cities and all, all the municipalities in America that are dealing in the municipal bond market, which is almost every one of them. If, if the, the significance of what happened to Harrisburg lies in what the recovery plan was. Harrisburg filed for bankruptcy. The bankruptcy was not allowed to go through because the Wall Street firms, they didn't want it to go through because if the bond gets restructured, and they don't get their money back, then what are other cities gonna do as soon as they get into trouble? And now all of a sudden, all these Wall Street firms in the municipal bond market, they're not getting their loans back. So they very heavily lobbied the Pennsylvania legislature to not allow Harrisburg to actually enter bankruptcy. Harrisburg filed for it, but the judge threw it out. And that's where it came from. It came from those firms going to the state legislature saying, you don't want this to happen. Let me tell you why. If Harrisburg goes into bankruptcy, it's going to be really hard for any city or any municipality in this state to be able to get money because we're going to think that the state doesn't care and just going to let them go into bankruptcy. Well, we're not going to lose our money. We'll lower the bond ratings for every municipality and every city in this state. So that's why the bankruptcy actually didn't go through. Did they have a point? Oh, yeah, they do have a point. They absolutely have a point. But it all goes back to these bonds never should have been issued in the first place. And, and the proof is that the city went bankrupt. And the city, it was never even possible to pay this money back. But they pushed it through. I mean, the bonds in 2003 for the incinerator. They just pushed it through. They collected their $16 million. And then when the House of Cards collapsed, they said, you can't file for bankruptcy and we want all of our money back. It's, it's really a... It's, it's an important, I mean, I, I know I'm saying this is an important story, but it is. It is highly important, and America and Pennsylvania need to learn what happened here so other cities don't do the same thing. So for people who are not familiar with the incinerator story, yeah. can you tell about the incinerator sure. and how that could bring down a whole city? Okay, so in the late 1990s, the EPA comes in and says, you have this trash-to-steam incinerator. So people in this area are taking their trash to the incinerator. The incinerator burns it and creates steam and creates electricity and the city makes money. Well the EPA says "Eh, it's too dirty. You gotta shut it down. So the city had to (coughs) shut it down. So then the city has a decision to make. Okay well what do we do? Do we take out hundred and twenty-five million dollars in loans to retrofit the incinerator or do we walk away from the project? Well the the decision was made to retrofit that incinerator at hundred and twenty-five million dollars. And that is where the $16 million in fees got paid out. So you have a bunch of people looking at this incinerator, and the only way that this bond could be issued is if the incinerator were deemed to be self-liquidating. And what that means is that the revenue that it generates pays for the debt to fix it. There There wasn't any indication that that would ever be able to happen. But that had to happen because Pennsylvania puts caps on how much money a municipality can, can acquire. And Harrisburg was at that cap, unless the, money is, unless the debt's self-liquidating, because it's going to pay for itself. So the county signs off on it being self-liquidating. The city signs off on it being self-liquidating. Wall Street and the municipal bond market goes off on it being self-liquidating. There is no indication that it could ever be self-liquidating and again, the evidence is that it all collapsed and the city had to file for bankruptcy. But again, it goes back to that $16 million. They, they wanted that money and that money does not get paid out unless the bond gets issued. So that's how the incinerator, one, one bond issuance can bring down an entire city. And then, uh, I mean, just to get a, a little bit more detail, the there is also, there's something called a performance bond. And... A performance bond is, by state law, it has to be issued on any public works project over, I think, about five dollars or $10,000. And it's, a, it's an insurance bond to protect the taxpayer in case something goes wrong with that project. Well, there is no insurance bond for this project. They just pushed it through. And the reason it didn't have an insurance bond is because it couldn't get one because it was a really bad project. But the state allowed it to go through anyway. The county and city allowed it to go through anyway. And Wall Street allowed it to go through anyway. So it, there were two things that that project was supposed to have by state law, self-liquidating and a performance bond and insurance bond. It didn't have either of them and still got pushed through. It, You've got to scratch your head. How could this possibly happen? And I go back to the millions of dollars that changed hands in these fees. People need to understand how that happens because their cities are probably doing the same thing right now in how they how how they put bonds out in the market to try to acquire the money to buy stuff that they need. Why did the county go along with this? I mean, they weren't necessarily were they still were they under the thrall of Stephen Reed? uh, The county got two and a half million (laughs) dollars. That's it. They got two and a half million bucks simply by saying that that incinerator project would be self liquidating. Two and a half million bucks
0: there were problems with the
1: retrofit of the incinerator. Yeah. (laughs) There were huge problems with the retrofit. So in order to, to, for that $125 million to work, they had to have to find a contractor who would be willing to do the work for that. And the bids when they were coming in were astronomically higher than that, except for one guy. His name was Barlow, and he was out of Colorado. And he had this new fancy technology that was going to be cheap, and it was going to burn everything more efficiently. It had never been tested on the scale that they were going to do the Harrisburg incinerator with. So they decide, you know, we're going to hire this guy without a performance bond, okay? Remember, this it's all, is all connected. They don't have this performance bond. Uh, they say, okay, let's make it self-liquidating. He comes in and starts doing the work and goes bankrupt in the middle of the project. It wasn't finished. So now the city takes out $125 million to retrofit the incinerator, the guy who they hired to do it went bankrupt. But there was no performance bond, no insurance bond to protect the taxpayer. So now you have a half-retrofitted incinerator. So in 2007, the city takes out a couple hundred hundred million more to to finish the work on the incinerator. So after $350 million, they have a functioning incinerator. It worked. It burned the trash, it created the steam, and it made revenue. But now with $350 million in debt, they can't pay it back. So originally they, they took out
0: $125 million in bonds, figured out how much they would pay for it, and then went out and find out how much it would cost?
1: Yeah, pretty much. It was a flawed project. It was a terribly flawed, flawed project. But when you have a mayor that feels invincible... And no one's going to challenge him. And the people are going to let him do what he wants. And the media are going to let him do what he wants. He just does it.
0: So the the incinerator works right now as we
1: speak? Yes, it was sold. So part of the recovery plan, after uh, city council files for bankruptcy, the state and the governor, Governor Tom Corbett, step in and say, no, we're not going to allow you to do that. Uh, The state then takes the city over and uh, strips the elected officials in Harrisburg of their constitutional authority to run the city. They were elected by the people of that city. The governor and the legislature is like, no, we don't think that you can do a good enough job. We're going to take the city over. So they take it over and they appoint what they call a receiver. And the receiver is now running the city and his job is to draft a recovery plan for the city. So part of that recovery plan was selling the incinerator. So the Lancaster County Solid Waste Management Authority bought the incinerator. They currently own it, and it's working. I mean, af- after, you know, this massive amount of money was dumped into it, you had a working project. But the problem goes back to how much money it cost to make that project viable. That's, that was what wasn't sustainable. How much did they sell it for? $125 million. And it had $350 million. Actually, at the time they sold it, I think it was closer to 400. million. So it had about $400 million in debt, and it was worth $125 million. And, and it, it just kind of goes back to how, how could your city leaders be that wrong? That's significantly wrong, and that's the problem.
0: Uh, speaking of city leaders, when you arrived in town, the mayor of Harrisburg
1: was Linda Thompson. Correct. Can you talk about her? Linda Thompson was uh, – do you know Linda? Uh, yes. I, have you interviewed Okay. Mm-hmm. So Linda Thompson was uh, – She was a woman who was raised in Harrisburg, and she was somebody who I felt had a very strong passion for Harrisburg. But at the same time, she was woefully ill-equipped to handle the situation that she inherited. I don't think that she had any idea how bad the finances of Harrisburg were until she became mayor. And she was on city council. She was originally part of the Reed team. You know, Reed endorses you, and you become... You know, you get elected, and then she turned against Reed, and then she filed, and then she ran against him for mayor and beat him in the primary. Uh, again, when he you know, didn't seem like he was really interested in the job anymore, and she um, she made a lot of missteps. She said a lot of things that really turned people off. Uh, I mean, it was a about a year after she took office and there was protest to get her out of office, she made outrageous statements. She was on national news for saying things that, that were absurd. She called Perry County a bunch of scumbags. She, she, I think she got really frustrated with the situation, didn't know how to handle the, the situation. She took it out on the media and I'd tell stories in there of her locking me out of press conferences and, 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 and she never called me by my name. She simply referred to me as, as you, like when I was in these press conferences. And she was just very, very cold, very combative, very difficult to deal with. Was she like that with just you or with all the Were there two TV reporters and newspaper there, reporters there who got were, along with her? There, there were a couple that did. If you didn't challenge her and you wrote the story the way that she wanted the story written, then she was very nice to you. But most reporters aren't like that. And we're going to ask questions. We're going to ask challenging questions, because that's our job. We're working for the people. We're working for the people that are in our viewing area or in our listening ship, whatever it may be. And that, that's how we look at it. We're fighting on their behalf. So it's our job to, to ask tough questions. But she kind of saw it. She took it personally. And it's not personal. It's professional. But she took it very personally. And then a, there's a lot of other things that she, I, I get into detail about her missteps and what she did um, when, when she was mayor. And a lot of it was just it was so unbelievable to watch her try to deal with this situation she just she just couldn't i mean she just she couldn't deal with it She had snowballs that were thrown at her by people during protests and and she kind of egged people on and and she taunted people when when they were protesting her I mean things that politicians don't normally do I mean people have the right to protest a politician, but for that politician to taunt them is is something that you don't often see and I mean, she did it She did it often, and she was very callous. I and mean, I sound like I'm ganging up on her, but, I mean, I covered her for four years, and it was a hard four years to be able to cover her just because of the way that she acted. But if you read the book and, and, and you see what I'm talking about, you'll understand. I mean, she made national headlines for things that she did. She made the worst persons list on Keith Oberman's show when he was on Current TV. Her, her comment about scumbags in Perry County and to give some background on that, Uh, For some reason, she thought that people from Perry County were driving into Harrisburg and dumping their trash on the side of the street. I have no idea where she got that from. So she decides to call them a bunch of scumbags with no proof to back it up. And it it created this, this political firestorm that is something I've never seen before. I mean, Perry County revolted against her. They actually pulled their contracts for trash. Perry County was sending trash to the incinerator. Harrisburg was making money on Perry County sending its trash to the incinerator, and they pulled the contracts and sent the trash somewhere else. So not only was it a ridiculous statement, but it ended up costing Harrisburg money. I think it was about $50,000 a year Harrisburg was getting on Perry County sending trash there. So she just kept doing things like that over and over again. When she came into office, one of the very first things that she did. Was she fired the superintendent of the school because uh, she was a white guy and she wanted a black superintendent to reflect the student body? Well, that white superintendent sued the city and got a two and a half million dollar settlement because for wrongful termination. So she just she did things like that over and over again, and with the way that she handled the city and the way that she handled the media. Uh, It it was really hard to work with. You
0: also write that in the transition between the two superintendents, something fell through the cracks and they missed out on a seven and a half million dollar.
1: Yeah, they're, well, the the school district itself was one of the biggest victims of Harrisburg's collapse. And it was the students that were the victims because there was no money for sports, no money for extracurricular activities or kindergarten. So I I really felt bad for the kids that were in that school because this was not their fault. And so you got you got these these municipal bond attorneys and people in Wall Street making millions of dollars on these bond deals. The city can't pay it back, and the kids are suffering as a result of it. It's awful. But when she fired that superintendent, there was no leadership in the city to apply for this grant that the city usually applies for. And I think it was about seven and a half or eight million dollars, somewhere in there. And as a result, the the, the, city, the school district never got that money. And when it never got that money, the kids suffered. So if in a school district that was already having a lot of financial problems, that, that $7.5 million additional problem, that was, a, that was a huge issue. And it was directly related to her firing the superintendent, and it was because he was white. I mean, she made that very clear. She wanted a superintendent that reflected the student body's race, racial makeup. I, and, and I get that. That's fine. I understand it. But if you're going to do that, Let his contract expire. Let him train the next person so you're not just cutting it off. And then things like that slip through the cracks and the kids suffer even more. So by getting rid of him, it it created so many more issues than what she thought she was solving. How did you learn to be a reporter? Well, I I first started writing for, I went to Pitt uh, and I went to play baseball. And then I figured, well, I probably should do something in case this baseball thing doesn't work out. So I started writing for the Pitt News, which is the, the university newspaper, and I enjoyed it. And so my major was uh, communications, emphasis on journalism. And then I had a minor in music, but that was, that was just for my enjoyment. And uh, so I, I graduated and then I went to Temple and I got a master's degree in broadcasting from Temple. And for those two years, as I was getting my master's, I worked for a newspaper in Morgantown called the Tri-County Record. I, I worked for the Journal Register Company in newspapers and then i decided i was going to get into television so I, I went to wyoming and i worked in casper wyoming for two years i went to madison wisconsin and uh, that was my first experience working at a capital and i worked there for three years for the nbc affiliate i worked at nbc affiliates in both those places and then i moved back to harrisburg in september of 2010 uh, and worked for the cbs affiliate here and then in december of 2014 I got a job as an investigative reporter for the ABC News affiliate in Washington, D.C.
0: Now, that's pretty far up the ladder, the ABC affiliate in Washington, D.C. When, when you got there, what made you want to come back and write the story about Harrisburg
1: instead of keeping it in your rearview mirror? Uh, the book was done. <clears throat> and oh, in, it was done while you were mm-hmm. still working? Yeah. The, the, I wrote the book. I would say I wrote the majority of it in probably the first six or seven months of 2014, And then I signed on with a publisher. And then it took about seven or eight months to edit the book and do the cover art and all that other stuff. So by the time I went to D.C. in December of 2014, the book was a couple months away from publication. It was already done.
0: I have to ask you about a story about Linda Thompson you have in here where there was a murder and there was a a shooting and there was blood on the ground. And Mm -hmm. Linda Thompson, the mayor, showed up and started dribbling a basketball.
1: Yeah. So this is these are the examples of stories that you'd have to read and understand, to understand my comments on Linda Thompson and how hard it was to work with her. So there was a situation where there was a young man, I believe he was 18 or 19, he had just graduated from high school in Harrisburg, and he was playing basketball on a court near Reservoir Park. And uh, he got into an argument with a fellow player, and he was shot and killed on the court, and he bled out on the court. And it was a horrible situation. And largely, he wasn't the type of victim that you would sometimes expect. He had a job. He was a high school graduate. There was, there was no, no uh, indication that drugs were involved. Uh, a lot of times in the inner city when somebody is shot and killed, it's usually over drugs or some sort of illegal activity. That was not the case here. Uh, now the guy who killed him was involved, but he was more of just somebody who was playing basketball that found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it was horrible. It it was horrible in in that area of the city because he had a good reputation. and He was a good kid. And there was an outcry for something to happen because Harrisburg, because it didn't have any money, because it had failed the people, the police force was getting cut. The fire force was getting cut and they just didn't have the people to patrol anymore. And crime was spiking significantly. So Mayor Thompson decides that she's going to hold a press conference, And she's going to talk about how she's going to take some officers and put them on bikes in in the, the areas of the city that experience higher levels of crime. And she was going to be proactive in what she was doing. So she had a press conference, and it was a good press conference. She answered questions, and it was a press conference that actually could lead to something. There was a lot of people from the community there that lived around where the shooting happened. I think there was a lot of people even from the victim's family that was there because there was a lot of people that were crying and and clearly emotional that, that were watching the press conference. And then after it was over, after we had this meaningful press conference, she walks over to some kid who clearly did not want to be involved in anything, takes his basketball and starts dribbling it, uh, appearingly on the blood of this young man who died and starts shooting hoops on the court with, with the memorial that had been set up with teddy bears and pictures and all this other stuff. So the media grabs all their cameras and starts filming her doing this. And she takes the boy who did not want to be there and starts playing a one-on-one game with him. And I understand what she was trying to do. She's trying to say, I think that this basketball court is a safe play, place to play basketball. Let's get back to our lives. But the way she went about it, and his bloodstains are on the court, and she's walking over his bloodstains and dribbling the basketball on the bloodstains. Us in the media, we're, we're looking at it going, you just had a meaningful press conference on a very important topic and someone's dead, and she just starts a pickup game of basketball. So what led the newscast that night? The basketball. She, she, she took a, something that could have been meaningful, and instead the lead in the newscast is the mayor playing basketball at a memorial for this kid. And, and that's the kind of things that she just did over and over again that, that really dug herself a pretty significant hole. And the people of Harrisburg were watching that. And when she ran for re-election, uh, she came in third. Uh, a, a, a pretty distant third to to two white guys that were running in a city that's 75% minority. I think she thought that she would carry the minority vote, uh, and she didn't even get close. But she just kept doing stuff like this over and over again. I think it wore on the voters.
0: When you were doing your stories about the Harrisburg's financial situation and about Mayor Thompson, what kind of reaction did you, did you get from the public to your stories? Uh,
1: the reaction was, was pretty good. Uh, people tuned in a lot to see what Mayor Thompson was going to do because she became a character in and of herself. What was she going to say today? Because she just just constantly was saying things that were so absurd that people wanted to see what she was saying. So anytime that we did anything on Linda Thompson, it got us ratings. So that inevitably led us to always having a camera around her. No matter what she was doing, all the stations and the Patriot News were there because you just never knew... (laughs) what she was going to do next or what was going to come out of her mouth. But when I was doing the investigations on Stephen Reed, the one thing that I noticed is that people started to get more interested. I think that in the beginning, people didn't want to think that this mayor for life, this, this larger-than-life figure, did anything wrong. But as I started doing these stories, people started to talk to me and started to believe, hey, maybe there's more to this than we actually thought. Maybe this wasn't just an honest mistake. Maybe this didn't just unfortunately happen to the city. Maybe it was done to the city. And as I started doing more stories, more people started coming forward and giving me more information. Because there wasn't anybody else in the media that was doing this stuff. As I said before, where was the media when he was shifting money around in bank accounts and 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 doing all these other things when the judges are saying he's abusing his power. So the media wasn't covering any of this. So when I started doing it, more people were coming to me with information. So stories lead to more stories and lead to more stories. And it was like that for like three years. Would you tell about the the phone
0: call you got from an anonymous caller? It sounds like something out of Watergate and Deep Throat.
1: Yeah, exactly. So after I started doing some of these stories, I got a phone call from a guy whom to this day, I've never met. Uh, I know who he is now, but it, it was about two years before I knew who he was, but I still have never met him. And he told me that he had watched Stephen Reed for years do what he did. And Stephen Reed, the way that he was abusing his power and just doing whatever he wanted to do and taking these huge risks with taxpayer money. And he said that he had a bank account. Stephen Reed created a bank account in Pottsville, which is about 65 miles east. And he, he took $7 million from a water bond transaction with the Harrisburg Authority, just took the money and put it in this account. Didn't get city council's approval, just took it. And started doling that money out in little bits at a time. Some of it went to uh, tear down an old hotel in Harrisburg. Some of it went to pay off some people's um, mortgages for their business in the city. I mean, a lot of it goes back to campaign donations. And he said, I, I have that bank account. And I said, okay. He's like, do you want it? I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> sure. So he sent it to me and we ended up doing an in-depth investigative piece on that bank account, how it was created, why it was created, Uh, how Stephen Reed abused his power in in creating that bank account, and then distributing the $7 million as he saw fit, solely as he saw fit. And this is the type of abuse of power that he did that no one called him on and just let him do it. Now, he was taken to court a couple times by some people. Uh, Some people within the city said, hey, I don't think you should be doing this stuff, and took him to court. And I mention in the book that even though the judges— found him to be violating his authority in, in being mayor of Harrisburg, they never punished him. Because even one judge said that, and I have his quote in there, he seems to have the interest of the city at his heart. So you're going to let the guy abuse his power as mayor, as long as the judge thinks that he's using the abuse of power for the city. And, and that's the, the, the type of mentality that led to the city's bankruptcy. And, I, and then one more thing I just want to point out. I think that Stephen Reed did have the best interest of the city at heart. He wanted Harrisburg to thrive. But it's much like Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff didn't want to be caught either. He wanted his investors to make godly amounts of money. That's what he wanted. He didn't want to get caught. He didn't want it all to collapse. And Stephen Reed is the same thing. And I think that's a decent analogy. Stephen Reed didn't want this to collapse either. He wanted the city to thrive. Is there any evidence that Stephen Reed benefited personally from this? I th- there, grand juries have been created, and grand juries are looking into the situation. Um, I mean, I, I can't answer that question right now, but I think that the people of Harrisburg will eventually get that answer.
0: When the state appointed the receiver, what what happened to city council and and Mayor Thompson?
1: Well, they got into more of a fight, and it got to the point where they didn't talk to each other. Did so they have any authority at no, that point? No. Nah. I mean, if you talked to them, they would say, yeah, we have some authority here and there. But ultimately, the, the receiver controlled the budget of the city. And most anything the city council does has to be budgeted to some extent, no matter what it is, even if they're printing papers and sending out flyers. I mean, there's a budget item for that. So they, they really didn't have any authority, and it was really a, a power grab, and the optics of it were absolutely horrible, uh, because you have elected officials in a city that are just stripped of their ability to govern that city, because and they're all Democrats, because the governor legislature, the governor Republican, and the legislature, which is Republican, they decide that they're not doing a good enough job. So we're just going to appoint someone to take the city over and, and uh, just, you know, impose a recovery plan on it that we think is the best recovery plan for you. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but, uh, you know, where was the governor, where was the legislature when the state government was approving those bonds, allowing, again, the, the, the performance bond and the self-liquidating asset aspect of those that were supposed to be in there, you know, they didn't follow up on them, they didn't investigate them. They just let it go. I mean, the, the state was involved in this in many different aspects. And then the state was hugely at fault because it allowed those bonds to go through, and then the state just takes it over when the bonds don't work out. And, and this is the same situation that could happen anywhere in the state, anywhere in the state. Now, there was a receiver, David Unkovic, correct. And he was
0: doing the job, and everybody seemed to like him, and mm-hmm. one day he resigned. Was there ever
1: any explanation about why? Uh, He called it political and ethical crosswinds. So David Onkovic, when he first was elected, or I should say nominated by Governor Tom Corbett, um, I was very skeptical of him because he worked in the bond markets. And a lot of the companies and a lot of the Wall Street firms that had loaned the city money, he knew them. He was (coughs) working for them. I mean, the, I mean it's, it's a pretty small group of people that are in the municipal bond market, and he was one of them. So right away, we were all pretty skeptical of him. When I say we, I, I mean the media. And he won me over. I, I really think that he had the best interest of the city, and he wanted the city to, to win. And he was very he, – he held a lot of town hall meetings. He talked to people. He won over the people of Harrisburg. But as he learned what happened to the city, the, the way that it happened, again, going back to the manipulation of the bond markets and the accounting tricks, he said, I can't move forward. There needs to be an investigation into what happened here, a criminal investigation, because the way that he saw it, these bonds should not have been issued for the incinerator to such an extent that he thought that there was criminality in doing so so he he publicly called for criminal investigations and he just gave up did he just yep. say this is unwinnable it wasn't unwinnable he said that it was political and ethical crosswinds he said he couldn't ethically move forward uh, largely because of how the city got in this in this problem so essentially what i think he was saying was what i'm trying to solve may have been a crime i'm not a prosecutor have prosecutors solve the crime first, and then let's figure this out. But his resignation was like handwritten on a little yeah, it was piece handwritten. of
0: paper. Is, yep. Was that
1: odd at all? Uh, yes. But in covering him over months, you could see that his mood drastically changed. When he first came in, he was very optimistic. He's holding these town hall meetings. He's talking to people. People like him. Uh, he, he wins over the media Fantastic job, bravo to him. And he was working, and people thought he was doing a good job, including me. And then he just walked away from it. He wrote that letter. He said, I can't ethically do this job anymore. And he walked away. And I think in doing so, he sent a very powerful message that that there is something more here than we think. In the media, and even residents in the city, there's more here. David Unkovic found out what it was. And by him leaving, I think it encouraged other people to say, well, what are those political and ethical crosswinds?
0: Now, His his successor, a gentleman by the name of William Lynch, and you're right, when Lynch was head of the Pennsylvania National Guard, he was highly <coughs> criticized for acquiring land in northern Pennsylvania for tank practice. That contract was scuttled, but not without the landowners keeping $325,000 of a state deposit. That land was subsequently that... Uh, that uh, Landowner was then brought into Governor Corbett's cabinet as Secretary of Community and Economic Development, the very department overseeing Harrisburg's restructuring. Is that sort of conflict of interest and that sort of thing
1: business as usual? Well, in Pennsylvania, yeah, yes and yes. Yeah, it's a conflict of interest, and that's, that's Pennsylvania politics. It's just how this city and it's how this state runs. It's, it's very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say, eh, Actually, I'm not even going to say a word. I'll just agree with you. Yes, it's a conflict of interest, but it's how, the, it's how the state is run. But at that point, people were tired. People were tired. It had been about two and a half years since the bankruptcy filing by city council. The city wasn't paying any of its debts. It wasn't paying. It had stopped paying all its debts so it could try to get money to pay its workers. Uh, it was the first time that the city had ever not paid its debt. Not only was it not paying the incinerator debt, it wasn't paying uh, the general obligation debt, which would be like a mortgage for a city.
0: So as, as the dust settles and they came up with a, a recovery plan for Harrisburg, who
1: won and who lost? Who won and who lost? I would say we don't know. I think we will know in about two years. Because the way that the recovery plan worked, uh, basically it, it sold the city assets. It sold the incinerator. It leased a parking garages that the city owned for 40 years. And then it got concessions from Wall Street, I think about $100 million. Uh, Because I I think the idea was, okay, Wall Street, if if you don't give us some money, there's a chance we are going to go bankrupt and you're not going to get any money. So Wall Street did give a little bit of money. And it, it mapped out budgets until 2016, 2017, that area. So starting in about 2017, we'll have a better understanding of that recovery plan. Did it work and did it not work? And then your question will be answered because if it works, the winners are the residents of Harrisburg and the region because the stronger Harrisburg is, the stronger the region is, Cumberland County and Dauphin County and all the counties that are around it. If it doesn't work, then the losers are the citizens of Harrisburg and the region. So we'll find out in a couple of years, but we'll... We're going to be following up on that question. It's an excellent question.
0: So as we sit here in
1: June of 2015, mm-hmm. how's Harrisburg doing? How's the new mayor? Uh, fine. I mean, I would say everything now is fine. I don't live here anymore. I live in Washington, D.C. Reed's uh, the things Stephen Reed built still stand? The, yes, they do. The, the National Civil War Museum only gets about 40,000 visitors a year. So I know it's struggling, but it's still there, and it's a beautiful facility, and I, and I hope that it, that it stays viable. I hope that the things that he, that he created in the city, although uh, they were fake and they were done with accounting tricks, I do hope that they, they do stay there. Uh, the Harrisburg senators, uh, a judge determined that he abused his power in bringing that team to the city by not getting the, appro- the appropriate approval from city council. Um, I mean, yeah, that was another aspect of, of him being just like a, a dictator, but the, they're staying here and I think they're doing well. I, I, I really hope that Harrisburg survives. I hope that it thrives, but it's gonna to be tough. Uh, this is your first book? Yes, sir. And you have another one in the works? Uh, yes, in 2016, my first novel will be coming out. It's called Devolution. Uh, Devolution being the opposite of evolution. You know, instead of systematically getting better, Devolution is systematically getting worse. So like the systematic breakdown of a structure. And oddly enough, I didn't plan it this way, but the book is very similar to Harrisburg. I mean, it's a novel, but it deals with a global superpower that's going through an economic upheaval. And in doing so, you have the different political factions within a country that are all trying to convince the populace to vote for them, and they start pitting people against each other. And I think we see that in our country to a certain degree, that politicians, for example, the one-percenters against a 99%. That's pitting Americans against each other. And that's done on many different examples. That's just one of them. But as politicians do stuff like that, they're tearing at the fabric of a nation. So this novel takes that to an extreme, and a country can tear itself apart. Well, we are out of time. We've
0: been speaking with Chris Pabst. He is the author of this book, Capital Murder, An Investigative Reporter's Hunt for Answers in a Collapsing City. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. I
1: really appreciate it. Had a nice time.
0: You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. We'd like to hear from you. Our email address is pabooks at pcntv.com. Like us on Facebook to learn more about PA Books.